The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths. <laughs> For them, an idyllic summer afternoon. Is anybody home? Became a nightmare. The events of that day were one of the most bizarre crimes of American history. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I am from beyond. Listen, and all you desire will be yours. Welcome to Spider-Man and the Secret Wars. Prepare for battle. Welcome to Brattle World, I'm your host, the ever-amazing, ever-spectacular Spider-Dan, and in this podcast I spotlight entertainment's best-kept secrets that a mainstream audience may find boring. And welcome to another puny pod, a short-form podcast where I revisit, or visit, a specific film, or comic book, all by myself. The blood is shed, it's nice and red. Step in the heart of Texas. We are doing our Wild Storms Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 2007. It is a comic book this time round. We are looking at a direct sequel to the Platinum Dunes remake of the film. So uh, it's in the same timeline. There's a lot of timelines involved in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. There's, I think every two or three films it gets rebooted for the most part, um, which is, you know, mostly the case and is the case for many uh, a slasher franchise. But yeah, we're going to be looking at this uh, specifically, but I'm just going to talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in general, first of all. I kind of find, found out about this film around, I think it was the late 90s, early noughties, where I was kind of um, hearing about films and stuff, and I heard that this was, it was quite a big deal in the UK that this film, the original film anyway, uh, the Toby Hooper, Kim Henkel, Gunnar Hansen, uh, Marilyn Burns original 1974 film was getting an uncut release. The BBFC, uh, it's considered as one of the video nasties of its day and was quite a big deal for the BBFC to turn around on that and release the film in its uncut original form. So that was quite, uh, it's quite a big deal and obviously there was a big release there was a dvd there was everything video vhs just a lot of kind of uh, there was documentary uh, i think it was shown on channel four i think mark kermo did a an introductory video on it as well so i think i saw it kind of one night late and it's fantastic it's an absolute classic i've talked about it before with rasheen and how much i love that film how gritty and grimy and and dirty it looks on screen and how brutal yet yeah, not doesn't show you that much actually really on screen as well but it's just the the feeling the atmosphere of that particular franchise is 
unique, completely unique into itself. I didn't include it in my slasher, beginning slasher films, because I don't really see it, even though arguably Leatherface is a slasher villain, I didn't feel like it was in that genre particularly. I see more of... Because it's more of a family-based thing, it's this cannibal thing, and it's this deep kind of backwoods-type film. I put it in that genre, I put it in the backwoods, the exploitation, whatever you want to call it, that type of film, your deliverances, your, you know, those type of things, your, um, your wrong turns. It's in that wheelhouse and that world for me, and not necessarily so much the classic uh, slasher tropes uh, that we were looking at at that particular time and in that particular podcast. Um, but we are going to talk about Video Nasties a little later in the year with Dennis, so that'll be an interesting discussion. But yeah, I, I, I've not seen all of the films, I will say that, but I'm, I think with a new one coming out very soon, I'm going to check the some of them out, the ones I haven't seen, which is a fair few actually. I've For this particular podcast, I've watched the two 2003, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and the 2006, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning, which is a prequel to that film. And this is a direct sequel, and this is made in 2007. So that kind of timeline had been set. Those characters had been put down on paper, on the big screen, on the silver screen. So we, we knew what they are about. And this particular family, in this iteration, uh, they, they seem to be named something different in every kind of timeline to differentiate them. Uh, so in this one, they're known as the Hewitts, the Hewitt family. And in the original, it's the Sawyers. And I think in another film, they're known as the Slaughter family. There's a lot of license taken. The main thing is there's obviously a chain chainsaw involved. There's obviously Leatherface is involved. But everything else is kind of, you know, there's a cannibal element and, you know, all the stuff being made out of skin and that. But usually those are the main elements and everything else gets kind of changed about a bit or moved or you know whatever you want um but this comic is written by uh, the team dna if you're familiar with them they are a uh, they were a writing duo they no, no longer work together for whatever reason creative differences i don't know uh, did they have a falling out possibly but they wrote this so that's uh, uh, dan abner and Andy Lanning, uh, so I believe that's right. Yes, I've got that right. I've got that right. And uh, they uh, wrote this. Um, we did look uh, again. Speaking of Dennis, we did look at the other Wildstorm comics they were putting out at the time. So they bought the rights to Nightmare on Elm Street. So we we saw that in the Clone Wars comparisons we had with Friday the Thirteenth. I won't spoil that. Go back and check that podcast out and see who wins out of those two comics. Who knows? Um, people who've already listened, they'll they'll know. Here we go. So. This sequel comic book picks up about a year after, roughly, after the events of the first film in 2003. So again, it is a sequel to that film, uh, not the prequel or anything else. So in this, if you're... Spoilers for that film, but it ends with... Uh, Arlie Ermey plays uh, one of the characters in the film. He plays uh, Sheriff Hoyt, also known as Charlie Hewitt Jr., because he's in on the whole thing and he's involved with the family. And he gets run over several times via Jessica Beale's character, Erin, uh, who it runs over him several times. So he's he's dead. Not unlike the hitchhiker at the end of the first film, 
full on just 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 dead just really dead so he couldn't come back obviously so they couldn't do a a sequel film sequel to that and obviously uh leatherface also has one of his arms removed however by the majesty of comic books we can have this story obviously the severed arm would probably have caused some issues for the actors and there'd be maybe cgi or practical effects or something and it might be a, a safety hazard with you know when you're chucking around a chainsaw i used to work in Scarefest, uh and one year they at the end of the maze you would reach this one point and it was a very much a leather face butcher type character and they would have a chain store and they would it would be a real chainsaw but it's obviously has the chain removed and they would just rev it up and rev it up and obviously it gets going and I'll be honest it was the scariest part of the maze and and I I went through it you know we tested it out and and it was still it always got the the effect it needed there was another ending that I had to kind of workshop a little bit which was this puppet alien thing which I had to kind of figure something out um which I did and then I just kind of passed it on to everybody else and and people loved it it was kind of like a you know I was like you've completed the maze and now this is your prize and then I go away turn this thing on and then I activate the puppet sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't but the uh the chainsaw or was always the better ending you always wanted the chainsaw no matter what the puppet it was okay but it, it, it was just awkward really um but we did our best with it Anyway, I should talk about that comic. Eventually, I'll get there. Um, but, uh, yeah, there was this huge, huge bulking guy called Dimitri, who is a lovely lad as well, but he was he was absolutely the kind of leather face you would want. Uh, and he did have a kind of a mouth guard, not unlike the way he looks in the um, Texas Chainsaw Mask at the beginning. It's got that kind of um, half mask, kind of almost like Animal Lecter-esque kind of thing going on, if I remember it rightly. Um, but I remember they had to put pins in the, because it was in the shipping container, there wasn't enough air getting in. And obviously all these fumes that are coming off this chainsaw was making the people who were operating them, Dimitri included, um, get really fucking faint and almost pass out. So they had to start, like, they had to literally, because it's just pure steel, they had to just poke holes in it uh whatever metal it was and so he could breathe anyway long story short it was just that just came to me uh then but i am gonna talk about this comic now so uh we pick up there is um there's kind of cops chasing this this guy down he's got this who we find out is zeke hewitt which is a new character not within the films uh and he's driving and trying to steal this kind of truck full and it turns out they stop him they knock him off the road they i think they shoot his tire out he's throwing off all of the police officers and then they open the they open the back door and they find all these bodies and a lot of them do look quite similar to the victims from the previous film. Um, I don't know how long they've been in there, but it looks like they've been in there a long time. Um, there's a faceless guy uh, who's Aaron's boyfriend in the first film. Um, and there's his mate as well. He's got kind of this kind of little beard going on as well. And then we also see a kind of flashback of, of later on of Erin cutting the arm off of Leatherface. But Leatherface basically attacks, kills all the police officers. The story picks up a few weeks after that. And the FBI are investigating the cold case of the, the murders, Hewitt, the Hewitt family and everything. And just trying to kind of figure it out. And basically, they determine that it is still ongoing. It hasn't stopped. And this kind of this one stretch of road, this one little town is kind of 
they determined that because of all the inbreeding that have gone that has gone on in, and the contamination of the bloodline it is feasible that the whole town is in on the killings and in on the conspiracy for human flesh uh, because this you know this factory is shut down you know it's in um, economic depression you know you see a lot of this again a lot of this is kind of set up in the Texas Chainsaw Mask of the Beginning as well. You kind of see a lot of this and you kind of see the the key kind of moments and kind of realisations and stuff that come through. Um, I don't actually think either, either of those films are particularly bad. I don't think they're particularly great, but I think they're, they're fine. They do what they say on the tin. If you're into that sort of thing, then then I'm sure it's for you. Is it as good as the original? Well, no. Um, I quite, I'm quite partial to Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 as well, if you want to give that a go. But a lot of the others I have not seen. I'll be honest, I've not seen 3, 4, the Alexandria D'Adrio version. I think that was 3D. And then the prequel to that one as well, I've not seen either. I've not seen the new one as of yet. But yeah. Um, so the FBI are investigating this cold case, and one of the people on the team is actually a the uncle of the hitchhiking girl in the 2003 film. So he is out for revenge. He's looking for the people that did this to his niece, and he is he is kind of done some dodgy stuff to get on this particular team because obviously massive conflict of interest he would not be on this team there's no fucking way but they discover that there's a a tunnel system the underground under this whole town that all leads and all converges back to the Hewitt residence and they find more and more bodies fresher bodies and they are determined to kind of figure this out because initially they're just supposed to find some clues, warm up the case again and and take it take it kind of at face value and just be like, right, let's just get the wheels, the gears moving again on this case and maybe we can find something because it is. But then they just find so much evidence. They're like, this is huge. This is much bigger than we ever expected. All the, the, the amount of bodies and things they're discovering. Um, uh, they find uh, Sheriff Hoyt's kind of office and it's just... Um, wall-to-wall evidence of stuff and nothing's been touched as well and they were like this is a cold case you know what's going on here um i kind of it kind of doesn't really link that well in regards to being a sheriff because uh continuity wise anyway because the the team that are investigating they meet a sheriff and he's like here's the files here's everything you need to know and the way they talk about it is that, that Hoyt had always been the sheriff almost, or that he was a genuine police officer. But in the beginning, he's more like he's masquerading as one because they're, they, they're like, we've got no money. There's n- nobody else lives in this town but you and the Hewitts. So I'm leaving. I'm off to work somewhere else. So he kills him and kind of takes over his role and becomes Sheriff Hoyt. He even goes gets to a point where he's like, don't call me Charlie Jewett Junior. Don't, uh, Junior. Call me that. Call me Sheriff Hoyt. I've got to stay in this character. I've got to, you know. Um, what is cool is that um, a lot of the F- two of the FBI agents are named after Kim Henkel, who co-wrote uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Toby Hooper, the original 1974 version. And also there's a reporter that turns up later in the story who is named, uh, surname is Burns, which again is a nod to Marilyn Burns, who played Sally Hardesty 
in the original film, The Final Girl, in that. So it was it was amazing as well. One of my favourite final girls. Um, if you want to hear more about me on Sally Hardesty, Marilyn Burns, check out my podcast about the top five screen queens I did with Machine, One Shock Phobia Fest. It's a good one, so check that out. But yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty... It's an interesting story because if you're looking for a lot of Leatherface, there is not that much. And I think the 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 issue with obviously one of the best things about these slasher villains is that they don't speak a lot of them. You know, other than really Freddy, they don't tend to speak a lot. And I think that adds to the idea that they cannot be reasoned with. They cannot be talked to. There's there's no way you can talk your way out of this. It's life or death. They're gonna kill you. And you need to do something about it. And and I've I've always liked that. And and I like that in this. There's always. In the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there's always a, a surrounding family. I quite like that dynamic. I quite like that idea. And in this iteration, it's very much like, almost like the women are in charge. Like in the original film, it's just like three weird fucking guys who probably met at like, you know, uh, the the meatpacking plant or the butcher or wherever, you know, the slaughterhouse, whatever you want to call it. But in this version, there's a lot of female characters, and I really appreciate that. You've got Luda May, who is the the matriarch, I guess, um, and she she really comes into her own in this story because now, now that Sheriff Hoyt is dead, um, she kind of needs to take charge and do what they've been doing for so long. And there's the tea lady who is the oh my 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 that lady and have a cup of tea you know there's all of that uh, going on like she's she's um, she's really interesting really creepy and you know uh, again it reminds me a little bit the hills have eyes as well I think that might have been done by Platinum Dunes as well possibly they they bought all the rights to all these Michael Bay is Platinum Dunes so he bought all the rights to all these different horror franchises they did like one or two films and then just sacked them all off really I think it was a I think it was a bit of a money making scheme to be honest <laughs> they were just like people know that name let's do something in the vein of that and hope it's good and I I don't think any of them the platinum dunes remakes are particularly bad i know people don't like the nightmare on elm street one but i think it's it's fine i think it's got some interesting ideas they take it in a very dark and disturbing way and, and you know it's not the worst thing in the world i know obviously you know it was going the absolute opposite way at the end of the the nightmare on elm street films where it's just jokes and bizarre goofiness so uh, i did kind of like the step back and the kind of the waking dreams and stuff but that's that's just me that's just me but again i'm not i'm not a massive you know i'm not been a massive freddy fan either particularly i'm not a huge freddy fan i think i prefer jason or you know michael myers or, or even a leatherface necessarily to to freddy and i think Probably that is to, due to him talking and to be able to do the the one-liners and stuff. As much as I enjoy the one-liners, don't get me wrong, but there is something to be said. And this family is again more. There's more female characters, and I, I like that that, that element. That because at the end of the day, you can't have a family, quote unquote, family without you know. And arguably, it kind of in the film it does it in the first film it kind of introduces the idea that they steal children and steal babies and they raise them and and you see that in beginnings as well when um, like Thomas or uh, Leatherface is a is a foundling who finds him in the dump in the rubbish bin you know when someone gives birth and dies basically and um, he's got a skin condition in this as well which I wasn't. I don't think this is, that's one of my favourite details in this particular version where, 
where that is. But uh, yeah, it's it's one of those. I I prefer the idea that he's trying to become other people, or he has these different personalities that are represented by the the faces he wears, and it kind of changes his mannerisms, changes the way he is. Like the like if he wears a woman's mask, you know, become becomes more feminine. You know, almost like he's a bit of like a almost like a trans character, maybe potentially uh, like a cross dresser or a drag queen or something. I, I like those elements. Um, you know, they're they're interesting to me. But anyway, back to the comics. So the FBI are finding the uh, found the bodies, and they are they're investigating. But all the while, we're also got these uh, we've got these reporters as well. Um, so you following the reporters doing a report on the killing. Surprise, surprise! Uh, and they the reporter reads out uh, John Larroquette's um, basically his intro for the entire. Uh, his narration for the entire film in the original Chex Chainsaw Massacre remake 2003 version. He does do, he's coming back to do the narration for the new one and did it on, in the original one. But yeah, and uh, they read it word for word. So that's quite a, that's quite a nice nod. But yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's quite a good book, I think, because it, it doesn't just do your standard teens to, because that would be the easy thing would be to be just do the teens drive into the town again, do the whole fucking thing again. Um, but no, at least they're kind of the, the paying homage, they're making kind of links. Um, they're introducing new family members like Zeke and Shiloh and, uh, and Hank as well. I think it's Hank. So, um, yeah, so it's really, really, really interesting. Um, I forgot to mention the artist as well. I think the art is actually pretty good. It's quite, it's it's quite kind of standard. What I kind of would expect. It's not too. Um, it's got it's got enough character and there's and I quite like there's a there's a, a framing device where he uses. So it's, uh, I think it's Craig Wes Craig. Yeah, he went on to co create the. Um, a deadly class, which is the uh, teenage boys and girls in a kind of assassin school type thing. So, uh, so he's no he's no stranger to the the uh, the gore and the violence. But I, as I'm aware, I think it's the thing he struggles with as an artist the most. But yeah, um, that's right. Uh, so, so yeah, he has a unique style. And the framing device he kind of has like it's it's interesting because he has all his panels and everything. All and all the placing is quite unique it's almost like he's trying to uh use that the way the title looks from the film the original film he's trying to recreate that by using his panels which is interesting and i this kind of scratchier kind of element aspect of it i really enjoyed and really dug so it was something really interesting about that and the these this white kind of background it, it it's almost like the sketch is almost coming out at the at the sides, so over the top, you can see like the the kind of what the sketch version would have looked like. It just kind of almost ekes out the side on the sides, um, even though it's fully rendered and coloured and inked and everything. Uh, right at the bottom or to the left or you know on the on the edges of the page, you can kind of see the sketch version, which I quite like. To kind of adds a little more detail and that it's kind of a bit rough around the edges, which I think this book kind of needs to be. But it's not. It's not as um, it's quite detailed. I like the colouring. I like uh, I like the way it looks. I think it's really grim and gritty, and I think it needs to be um, without being too much or over the top. I think there's a nice level of that happening here, which I really appreciate. Uh, but yeah, we find out Bane's um, 
is uh, the uncle of of Pepper, I think she's called, the character. I'm not sure if she's called that in the film or not, but he goes on a kind of a one-man killing spree. The One of the agents gets killed by Leatherface. I think he gets chopped in half. Um, again, it is minimal Leatherface, so if you're expecting a lot of Leatherface, there is not a lot of that. But there is more of the family, which I find quite interesting. Like uh, Shiloh is like a really um, mentally deficient character who uh, ends up kind of biting the dust. There is some epic kind of action towards the kind of tail end. There's a nice kind of slow, you know, build-up. Uh, you know, as long as you can get through those two first two or three issues, which is all kind of story for the most part but it, it is worth it. i actually think i really enjoyed this on the whole um i think it's a decent kind of sequel to what we got given in those two films um within this particular kind of franchise or timeline whatever you want to call it i think it does do what it needs to do and builds on that the reporter and, and her friends uh, are investigating the, I think it's the Blair Meatpacking Plant, which is um, where Leatherface used to work, so it got clo- work and it got closed down. And then they're going back, and there's a character who looks just like Arlie Ermey or, you know, Sheriff Hoyt. And apparently the, the artist, Wes Craig, said it was a deliberate choice to make him look like Arlie Ermey. Um, he's called Hank, uh, Hank Hewitt, we believe. Not a lot of detail about him, but he works there and he's taking the piss and he looks exactly like, like he looks just like Arlie Ermey. So it's uh, it's theorised, but nothing's ever been stated, whether it's a twin maybe or another family member, like a brother or something, or maybe it's that character and he survived. I doubt it because um, he's been, it has a different name or something, but um, it, it was theorised that it might be him or he could have survived, possibly. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of, you know, it's obviously it's a horror film, so, you know, it wouldn't surprise us, really. And we see he has an amazing... <laughs> he basically gets the reporters, kills, kills them all, he's got... Um, I think it's Kim Burns, she's called the reporter, the main reporter. It has her hung up while she kills his her friend, like skins him and then boils him. All all sorts of disgusting, horrible stuff, which is what you'd expect from this franchise. But there you go. And he comes a cropper uh, when Baines is looking for his other teammates. One one has been taken off by the tea lady because she's always trying to drug people with their tea. She's like, oh, have some tea, have some tea with uh, Hen- Henrietta um, who, Hewitt, who is the the short-haired woman from, from the film and is looking after the babies, wants a baby. There's a really disturbing scene with them where they tie him up and and try and, and with the drug guy and try and, and basically they rape him. They rape him. Um, you know, they jump on him and they're like, they want a baby, I want a baby and all that sort of stuff, which is, again, very disturbing and, and portrayed and, and drawn kind of almost like, it's almost like he's swirling, his vision is swirling, uh, like a cup of tea or something like when you're spinning, uh, which I thought was really well done, obviously, because it's the tea lady. But yeah, really, really disturbing stuff. And again, obviously, you got to have the dinner scene. You know, what was interesting about the 2003 version is they don't have a dinner scene, which I thought was interesting. And again, there's enough changes with that and having the police officer and more of the town involved. I, I thought they did enough changes, enough uh, unique spins on it. I think it was a bit too wet, though. It, it didn't remind me of this kind of dry, dust bally kind of Texas, this, you know, this dry heat 
Um, it was just everything was just dripping all the time and, and seemed really wet, and I just didn't really understand it. I was like, "You've got a really horrible leak if that's going on," um, you know. And it wouldn't the house would fall down under itself? But but there you go. Um, yeah, it's 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 great. It's disturbing, but Baines ends up saving the reporter just at the last minute because he's uh, the Hank character. It's running after Kim with a chainsaw. It's like, rum, 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 you know, all that sort of stuff. And he he rocks up, manages to shoot him, but then they get into an epic chainsaw duel, uh, just like in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. I am the Lord of the Harvest, uh, said Dennis Hopper in that film, and uh, and it's great, and it's exactly what I want. I want to I want to see a chainsaw duel. Why why wouldn't you want a chainsaw duel? You know, in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre film, it's stupid, it's weird. Obviously, chainsaws would not operate very well realistically, um, but you know, if you're running around and banging them into things so much, you know, they're useless in that regard. Uh, um, but yeah, it was epic. It was really, really cool. And then you get the the family dining scene. You get this whole tunnel system where the sacra they're um they can they were chop they chop the tunnel system and and collapse on one FBI agent. And then he comes up while they're having dinner, and and he gets attacked by all the kind of all the family members that aren't Hank or um, Leatherface or any. Or it's they've got um, uh, Monty, who's the guy who doesn't have any legs in the film. Uh, the paraplegic, and he he basically gets whacked by a pan, and he gets, you know, he gets the worst. He gets pretty bad kill. I think it's a throat slash. Um, so yeah, but they all end up. Most of the survivors end up in this. You know, again, they end up in the on the dinner table, and they're like, okay, we're gonna have this, and you know, boiling people over and stuff. Um, it's good stuff. You know, it's really fun. It's effective. Um, I really enjoyed it. I would definitely, I would definitely recommend it if you're if you're a fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre in general. I think if you're a fan of uh, specifically the remake and maybe the beginning as well, um, it's definitely something to to look at. It is not that widely available. They are out of print. Obviously, Wildstorm has been folded into DC Comics at the moment, so any of those stuff. But obviously, the rights, much like the films, the rights just kind of go all over the show. So Avatar have done, Avatar Press have done some, um, various other kind of comic companies are all over the show. So you could end up paying a pretty penny for this i think i've paid about like 20 20 quid for it something like that um but there is a book two and much like friday the 13th there's a book two but um nightmare on elm street there was only one book apparently so who knows um some yeah some really good stuff and the and the the table it's probably the most exciting um kind of table scene we've had in the texas chainsaw market uh, Masker franchise uh, ends uh, ends with a quite a literal bang as uh, someone comes in with a the Baines comes in with a grenade and says, "Don't fuck with me! I'll pull this grenade! I'll throw it at everybody!" And uh, and then Leatherface chops it up, and Shiloh, who is the mentally deficient one, uh, basically just jumps to grab the grenade for some reason and. Poof, um, but there's a lot of characters here, and I know later on they introduce a few characters that are more similar to the the Sawyer clan, the Sawyer family from the original films. 
It's something... Uh, it's good. It's a good comic. If you can get hold of it, again, it is quite rare. However, the, I have found a link where you can read it online. So what I will do is I will leave that in the show notes. This is a note for me, mostly, to leave it in the show notes. But if you want to read it online, you should be able to via this link. I've used the website before. It doesn't seem too bad, but I'll, I'll leave it on there if you want. If you want to go for it, you can go for it. If not, you can buy it yourself. It's fine. Um, but yeah, try eBay, try Amazon. But I, I really enjoyed it. I think it, it does everything that I want it to do. Everything looks right. They've obviously done a lot of research. They're referencing all the right things. Um, you know, what happened, the kind of stuff. There's a lot of influences from the original films as well, I think. But yeah, I think it's a solid film. I, I film. It's a solid comic book that kind of again harkens back to those original films, but then still appreciates the timeline and all the sort of stuff going on. There is after this, there was only much like the Friday the Thirteenth comic. They made kind of several one one offs and one shots. I've not read those, so I can't say the quality is good or bad. But again, you can buy it as well, book two, and give it, give it a try. But I've quite enjoyed this and I'm looking forward to revisiting those those other films and kind of getting stuck in. But yeah, I, I absolutely, totally, totally dug this. And like I said, uh, I will leave uh, that link to see if you guys want to, if you guys want to read it. That's cool. Um, but I would recommend it. I think uh, it's cool to see a lot of the the characters from the films in the comic as well. They don't just like, oh, it's new or different or killed them off or they don't exist. Uh, you get you get Jedediah as well, um, who's the little boy who helps the Erin, uh, Jessica Biel's character in the original film as well. So yeah, it's been great. I've really enjoyed this. I've I've had a good laugh with this comic book. Uh, the reason I did was because is because uh, myself, Andy and Natalie, both of the guests this month have been ill, and I didn't want you guys missing out on a podcast, so I thought I'd just very briefly uh, just talk about this one. But yeah, really good comics. If you can get hold of it, 2007 Wildstorms, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Book 1, Volume 1, whatever you want to call it, um, jump on eBay, jump on Amazon, or jump on the link I'm going to leave in my show notes, and you can give it a go. But I had a blast reading this. It was good. Did it in one sitting. It's not, not a hard read. It wasn't hard going. The writing is good. The art is good. Not much more to say, really. Um, give it a go if you're if you're interested, but be warned, not much Leatherface in there. So yes, just bear that in mind before you start reading. But when he is on when he is on the panel on the pages, he is used very well. Um, he's intimidating. He's scary. I think there is a there's a there's a problem with getting Leatherface right. I think you need him to be large, powerful, um, you know, insane. But then you also want the vulnerability to it as well, that he's not quite mentally well. And I think if you don't get that balance right of him being intimidating, threatening, and deadly, he can become a bit of a joke. He can just be like a big crybaby or a bit soppy or a bit stupid or easily manipulated. I think you've got to find that balance to to nail that character um and i think there's there's only a kind of a few there's i mean like a lot of actors have played him obviously like and uh you know same with 
Halloween as well or Friday the 13th. It's, you know, it's a mask character. You're just going to get a different person under the mask. But I, I like the version in this um, in this continuity. It's uh, Andrew Bryanarski, who uh, he's uh, the Chip Shrek in Batman Returns. He's, I think it was Butterbean or Butterball uh, in uh, Hudson Hawk, which we talked about. And he was also Zangief in the Street Fighter film. So, uh, yeah, I thought, he, I thought he was fantastic. I, again... Powerful, intimidating. I like the design of that first Leatherface mask in that first film. I think is really good. Um, I love how tight and pulled back it is. Um, but yeah, I've talked about. I think I've talked about all that as as, as much as I possibly can. So uh, yeah, I'll, we'll call it a day. But uh, I'm glad that you visited the heart of Texas with me and pulled it right out. Got it proper churned up. Uh, by that chainsaw. So thank you very much for that. Um, you can find me on the social medias. It's at Secret Boars on Facebook, Twitter at Dan underscore Boars, Instagram it's at Spider Dan Secret Boars. Like, share, comment, subscribe, etc. And don't forget to use the hashtag Prepare for Prattle when you interact with us. And if you want to join the battalion and to be briefed in full on the Secret Boars, head over to Prattle World on the World Wide Web. So that's www.spiderdanandthesecretboars.com. I'd like to thank my patrons on Patreon. I am Jack's Musings, Paul Meller, Max Byrne, Tony Farina, Scott Hodgson, Simon Cotton for their continuing donations. It is very much appreciated and helps Prattle World keep on turning. And if you ever find yourself in a position to help the podcast, please consider it. Thank you very much for your time. Take care, guys. Goodbye.